For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, Our Spiritual Journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. This is part two of the series. So we're going to continue to look at the bigger picture of the meaning and the purpose of life and why this world was created so that we can understand the detail of our spiritual walk on this earth as will be outlined from studying the physical journey of the children of Israel out of Egypt to the promised land or to Jerusalem or Mount Zion. So we are here on this earth even though our citizenship is in heaven. We are sent to this earth to represent the kingdom of God on earth and to live, establish, and teach others the values of the kingdom of God to the people on the earth so that his will will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. So next we're going to see that the Messiah and him having a bride is the purpose of creation or why this world was made. In the book, Sound the Great Shofar by Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, he explains on page 111, Our sages or our rabbis teach, and this is from the Talmud and Sanhedrin 96b, the world was created solely for the Messiah. So Paul also explained that the world was created solely for the Messiah, as he states in Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 and 16, as it is written, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. This is speaking of Yeshua. So it goes on to say about Yeshua, for by him, that is Yeshua, were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all all things were created by him and for him. So why did Yeshua, through the will of his father, create this world? It was so that Yeshua could have a bride. So next, we're going to give a more detailed explanation of the purpose of creation, how the world was created for the sake of Israel, the Torah, and the Messiah. Because ultimately they are one, and in being one, they are in covenant with each other. And this oneness and this covenant is going to be ultimately expressed at Mount Sinai, where Yeshua is going to enter into a marriage covenant with his people, the nation of Israel, who he desires to be his bride. And this marriage relationship is going to be based on keeping his Torah, which is doing the will of God on the earth. So we're going to see this by looking at the first word of the Bible in Hebrew, which is Breshit. So this one Hebrew word is translated as three English words in the beginning. But if you would look at the first word of the Bible in a Torah scroll, the first 
first letter of the first word of the Bible, that is, the Hebrew letter Bet, is larger than the rest of the letters. In Bet in Hebrew, in it being pronounced Beit, means a house. So, the enlarged bet in the first word of the Bible, given that it means a house, is a hint that the purpose of creation is the Creator wanted to have a house, or a people, or a dwelling place. So now, if we take the first and the second Hebrew letters of the first word of the Bible, Breshit, we have the Bet and the Resh. So we have the word Bar, which is Aramaic for son. So the God of Israel wanted to have a house or a dwelling place for his son. So now, if we take the first two letters of the first word of the Bible, the Bet and the Resh, and combine it with the last two letters of the first word of the Bible, and these last two letters in Hebrew, are Yod and Tav, we have the Hebrew word Berit, which means covenant. So there's a hint here that the God of Israel wanted to build a house for his son. And the way he was going to build this house is through covenant. So now if we take the first word of the Bible, Breshit, and we separate the first letter, the Bet, from the rest of the word, we have Reshit. And Reshit in Hebrew means beginning or first. And grammatically, the Bet would mean in English in, by, or for. So separating the Bet from the rest of the word Reshit, you could read or translate the first word of the Bible not as in the beginning, but for the sake of the beginning. And this interpretation is mentioned by Rashi, who is a rabbi of the Middle Ages, in reference to Genesis Midrash Rabbah 1.4, which is a Jewish Midrash, or a teaching or an explanation of the Hebrew Scriptures. So, let's put together these concepts that we can glean from the first word of the Bible, Breshit, as we've itemized for you so far. So, breaking down the Hebrew of this word, we can see a purpose of creation in the sense that the God of Israel created the world because he wanted to build a house for his son. And the way he would do this is by making a covenant with the beginning. So if the world was made for the sake of the beginning, because the God of Israel wanted to enter into a covenant with the beginning, who in the Bible is called the Reshit or the beginning? Well, first we're going to see that Israel is called the Reshit or the beginning. And we can see this from Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 3 as it is written. Israel was holiness under the Lord. And the King James translates it as first fruits. It's the Strong's number 7225. It's the Hebrew word Reshit. So Israel is the Reshit, translated here as first fruit. But in the first word of the Bible, it's rendered or translated as beginning. Next, we're going to see in Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 22 that the Torah is called the Reshit or the beginning, as we can see. The Lord possessed me, and the subject of the book of Proverbs is the Torah being personified as wisdom. So the Lord possessed me, wisdom, which is the Torah, in the beginning. Once again, the Strong's number 7225, which is Reshit, of his way, before his works of old. That is the creation of the heavens and the earth. I was set up from everlasting. What was set up from everlasting? The Torah personified as wisdom, from the beginning or ever the earth was. 
So the Torah is the Reshit, or the beginning. And next we're going to see from the New Testament that Yeshua is the Reshit. Yeshua is the beginning. John was trying to give you a Hebraic interpretation of the first word of the Bible, as I've been giving you, at the start of his Gospel, wherein he explains in John 1, 1 and 2, in the beginning, or in Reshit, or remember this can be translated for Reshit, or for the purpose of Reshit, as the beginning. Reshit is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23, Yeshua is called the first fruits. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. So from these scriptures we can see that the first word of the Bible in the Hebrew can be rendered or interpreted for the beginning or for the sake of the beginning. And who did we just see as the beginning? Israel. Torah and the Messiah. So we've seen that the God of Israel, his purpose in creating the heavens and the earth is he wanted to build a house and it was going to be through covenant. And who is in this covenant? The beginning, which is Israel, Torah, and the Messiah. So they're going to be in covenant with each other and that covenant is going to be in the form of marriage, which is going to take place with the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai. And the nation of Israel is going to be the bride of Yeshua in fulfilling a purpose of creation. This is why the Torah at Mount Sinai was received by the nation of Israel as a covenant because once again the beginning is going to be in covenant in the beginning being Israel Torah and the Messiah and this is because Israel Torah and the Messiah are one this is explained by Rabbi Menachem Schneerson in the book in the garden of the Torah where he says on page four Israel the Torah and the Holy One blessed be he he's referring to God the Father and we remember Yeshua said in John chapter 10 verse 30 I and my father are one so Israel Torah and the God of Israel even the Messiah are all one so this is why and how and not only being in covenant with each other but in having that covenant relationship Israel Torah and the Messiah became one at Mount Sinai so going back to Proverbs chapter 8 verses 22 and 23 where the Torah is being personified as wisdom here we can understand that the Torah existed before the creation of our physical world. In Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, it is written, The Lord possessed me, referring to wisdom, and remember the Torah is being personified in the book of Proverbs as wisdom, in the beginning, the reshit of his way, before his works of old, referring to the creation of the heavens and the earth. I was set up from everlasting. What was set up from everlasting? The Torah, which is personified as wisdom, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. That is the creation of the heavens and the earth. And in creation, the spiritual world became physical. So therefore, the Torah became physical. In the Art Scroll, which is an Orthodox Jewish publication, to the commentary to the book of Genesis or Breshit in the introduction, on page 43, it explains, With the event of creation, the Torah assumed physical garb, just as the soul clothes itself in a human body to assume earthly life. So the principle is that which was originally spirit became flesh. So the Torah became physical and Yeshua is the living Torah. So that's how he, that is Yeshua, who has always existed with the Father, how he was able to become flesh and dwell among men on the earth. 
because what Yeshua did, he who is eternal became physical, is what happened at creation. That which is originally spiritual in creation became physical. In John chapter 1 verse 1 and verse 14 it is written, In the beginning was the Word. That's referring to Yeshua, but the Word and the Torah are synonymous terms. And the Word was with God, and the Word, or the Torah, was God. So, we're told at the end of Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3, For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the Word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This is Hebrew parallelism. That Jerusalem and Zion are synonymous in the Torah in the word of the Lord is synonymous. But Yeshua is the word. So he's the living Torah. And even as the rabbis explain that the Torah which existed before the creation of the world in creation became physical, likewise we're told in John chapter 1 verse 14 in the word, that is the Torah, that is Yeshua who is the living Torah, was made flesh. He became physical. He dwelt on this earth with a physical body and dwelt among us, fulfilling a purpose of creation. The God of Israel want to have a house for his son, who's going to be his bride. We can see how the Torah is wisdom from Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, as it is written. My son, if you will receive my words and hide my commandments with you, so that you incline your ear unto wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. So in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1, the subject is my words, my commandments, which is called wisdom in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 2. Then in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1, it is written, my son, forget not my Torah. Torah, but let your heart keep my commandments. So the Torah is the commandments, which is his word, which in Proverbs 2, 2 is wisdom. And that's why it says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13, happy is the man that finds wisdom or follows the Torah or the commandments of God and a man that gets understanding because following the ways of God is wisdom and understanding. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 18, she, in Hebrew grammar, the Torah ends in A-H. A-H is a feminine ending. Wisdom in Hebrew is hakma. It ends in A-H, it's feminine. So she, the Torah, or wisdom, is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that follows, keeps, or retains her. So the Torah is wisdom, and then we're told in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19, that wisdom created the world. As it is written, the Lord by wisdom has founded the earth, by understanding has he established the heavens. So the Torah is wisdom, wisdom created the world, and Paul explains to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, that Yeshua is the wisdom of God, as it is written. But under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So, the Torah is wisdom, wisdom created the world, and Yeshua is wisdom. Wisdom created the world, and the Torah is wisdom, and the Torah is the word of God. So, the world was created by the word of God. In Proverbs chapter 33, verse 6 and verse 9, it is written, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. So, therefore, Torah or wisdom, who is Yeshua? Yeshua is the word of God, Torah is the word of God. The Torah is wisdom and Yeshua is wisdom created the world. So the Torah which is wisdom who is Yeshua created the world. And the purpose of the creation of the world is that Yeshua would have a bride. And the name of his bride is Israel. So Israel becomes the purpose of creation and Messiah and in being the bride of Messiah is the destiny mate of the Messiah. So let's summarize this part of the teaching. Number one, Yeshua created 
the heavens and the earth. Number two, the world was made for Yeshua so that he could have a bride who would live and dwell with him forever, ultimately in the New Jerusalem. In Yeshua, his bride and his Torah are one. So looking at the big picture of what the God of Israel in the Bible is trying to explain why he created the world and who we are, our citizenship is in heaven. This is why when we come to the earth in representing the kingdom of the God of Israel, we are ambassadors of that kingdom. And he wants his kingdom or his will to be done on earth even as it is in heaven. And he's going to have a people that does his will. And the people that does his will, he's going to enter into a covenant relationship with. He's going to marry this people. The name of this people is Israel. And from Israel is going to be Yeshua's bride. So given now that we understand the principle that Yeshua created the heavens and the earth so that he could have a bride, the next thing we need to answer is what are the spiritual characteristics of Yeshua's bride? What does he require of her? Well, we're going to see that the covenant that Yeshua made with Abraham is going to be a blueprint regarding Yeshua's relationship with his bride. As Abraham's life and calling is going to be a spiritual picture of the calling of Yeshua's bride. So what is the spiritual journey of Yeshua's bride? Well, first of all, it begins with covenant. So now let's see how the covenant walk and calling of Yeshua's bride is associated with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, it is written, When Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am Almighty God. In Hebrew, this is El Shaddai. Walk before me and be thou. And the King James says perfect, but the Hebrew word is tamim, which means mature, whole, or complete. Let's cross-reference. Genesis chapter 17 verse 1 with Revelation chapter 1 in verses 7 and 8 so that in doing so we can see that in Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 that the Almighty God is a reference to Yeshua. So in Revelation chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 it is written, Behold, he comes with clouds and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him, even so. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, this being the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. In Hebrew, it would be Aleph and Tav. The beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. So in Revelation chapter 1 verse 8, we can see that the Alpha and the Omega, or the Aleph and the Tav, is also the Almighty God. So from this, we should be able to see that the one who appeared to Abraham, who is referred to as El Shaddai, is Yeshua. We can further see this connection, as Paul explained it in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, as it is written. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He says not seeds as of many, but as of one, into your seed, which is Messiah. And Paul goes on to state in Galatians 
Revelation chapter 3 verse 29 that if you are Messiahs, then are you Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. So how am I in believing that Yeshua is the Messiah an heir of what was promised to Abraham? The answer is it is by covenant. And the only way that this can be is if it was Yeshua who made covenant with Abraham and since when I receive Yeshua into my heart and life and make him Savior and Lord of my life, in doing so I enter into a covenant relationship with him. I then by extension am in covenant relationship with all those that Yeshua is in covenant with. So it was Yeshua that made covenant with Abraham. I'm in covenant with Yeshua. So therefore this is how I can be an heir through Yeshua of what was promised to Abraham. Now when Paul quotes in Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say seeds as of many but as of one into your seed which is Messiah. He's quoting or he's making a reference to Genesis chapter 17 verse 7 which says and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and your seed after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto you and to your seed after you goes on to say in Genesis 17 verse 8 and I will give you and your seed after you the land where you are a stranger all the land of Canaan so so the promise was made to Abraham and his seed, and given that looking at the scriptures Hebraically, there is multiple levels of interpretation and understanding of the text. This is how when Paul is emphasizing in Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 that the promise was made to the seed, that the seed is Messiah. This is so because it was actually Yeshua who made covenant with Abraham, and the promises extend to all those who are connected and associated with this covenant. So back to Genesis chapter 17 verse 1 where it says, And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am Almighty God, or El Shaddai. Walk before me and be thou. And the King James says, Perfect. So the Hebrew word that got translated as perfect in the King James is the Strong's number 8549. And it's the Hebrew word Tamim. And in other verses in scripture, Tamim is translated as without blemish. It's translated without spot, as well as being whole or complete. So from this, we can see a spiritual characteristic of the bride of Yeshua is that she is without blemish. She is spiritually mature, whole, and complete. When the King James translated Tamim as perfect, it does not mean that you never make a mistake. The Hebrew means to be upright in heart or spiritually mature. So let's look at another scripture that contains the Hebrew word tamim, the Strong's number 8549. In Exodus chapter 12 verse 5 it is written, your lamb shall be, and here tamim is translated as without blemish. So now we understand the principle that the bride of Yeshua has the spiritual characteristic of being spiritually mature, but how does she become spiritually mature? Well, it's 
through Yeshua. She's initially forgiven of her sins through the shed blood of Yeshua, but her spiritual growth in Yeshua comes by obedience to him and following his Torah. We can see this from Psalm 119 and verse 1, as it is written, Blessed are thee, and here the Hebrew word tamim, the Strong's number 8549, is translated as undefiled. Blessed are the tamim in the way who walk in the Torah of the Lord. So we can see that those who are Tamim follow the Torah. In Psalm 101 verse 6 it is written, My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He that walks in a perfect or a Tamim way, he shall serve me. Well, that's going to conclude part two of the series on the subject, Our Spiritual Journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.